This is the Earth Regenerators Podcast. everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Regenerators podcast. My name is Jacob, and today I am joined by Gregory Landua. Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Hey, Jacob. Great to be here. Gregory is the CEO of Regen Network, but most interestingly, at least to me, also one of the thought leaders in this entire regenerative space. And that's actually what I want to focus on talking about today. And we'll be talking about a lot of really, really difficult questions that don't really have any answers, but I would love to hear the thoughts of Gregory. And just as a heads up for the listeners, he probably won't have the perfect answers. So I'm really excited to just explore what you think of these various issues. And I'd say to just get started a little bit, it would be interesting to hear a bit about your background because you haven't been in tech all your life, right? You started in permaculture. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, and I, I'll uh, I'll dig in and, and tell a little bit of, about that story and my background. First, I just want to clarify: I'm the CEO of Region Network Development Public Benefit Corp, or RND PBC, as we like to call it. Uh, there is no CEO of Region Network, which is okay. a community-owned digital infrastructure that's being used for generating things like carbon credits and other ecological accounting processes. So. Um, I am a co-founder of Regen Network, but there is no CEO of Regen Network. Perfect. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. So my background is, um, I well, I grew up in Alaska, <clears throat> spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, I, uh, I studied environmental science in college and then regenerative entrepreneurship and regenerative design in uh, for my master's degree. And... Uh, with Gaia University, which some listeners may know of, which is a really fantastic action learning institution, and uh, spent a lot of time in the permaculture movement and the eco-village movement, mostly, um, and really developed a career focused on regenerative agroforestry and working with smallholder farmers around Latin America, um, um, developed a direct trade chocolate business over, over the course of that time, and also worked with a lot of started working with a lot of companies to sort of transform their systems of supply, ingredient supply towards supporting landscape scale regeneration through working with farmers cooperatives and um, sort of moving beyond the organic and fair trade paradigm into a regenerative paradigm of sourcing. Um, and um, yeah, so, you know, my, my background or my career, my vocation before founding Region Network was really pretty centered on sort of the design discipline of permaculture. Um, I also did a lot of ed permaculture education early in my career, but sort of uh, transitioned out of that, started doing much, much less education, much more applied design. And then uh, from that, moving into trying to grapple 
uh, with sort of these systems of supply and the larger economies of scale that really influence, may have significant influence in how a landscape is, um, yeah, being interacted with by its human inhabitants. Um, I kind of would describe my journey as uh, if, if your listeners haven't already seen The Upward Spiral by uh, Paul Crafell, um, which is this amazing, very cool uh, homemade video, um, mm-hmm. which maybe you can link in the show notes or something. It's a story of this guy uh, going farther and farther up his watershed to find the best place to intervene to, to have regenerative outcomes. And it starts mm-hmm. out showing you know, rainfall and erosion and gullies being produced and all these things. And, you know, over the course of this video, you watch this guy go further and further up the watershed until he's kind of at the top of the hill with just a little hand trowel, making little key line swales so that the water, instead of getting channeled and ripping out the landscape, it starts to spread out and slow down and build soil. And over the course of a time lapse of, you know, a a little bit of time, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, I don't remember, a couple of seasons, all of a sudden those gullies start to fill in, there's vegetation, there's not erosion. And I would sort of describe my experience of starting doing sort of local regenerative agriculture and permaculture and education and sort of working within the context of eco-villages and sort of one-to-one permaculture engagement, and then moving upstream a little bit and starting to try to engage with um, natural products companies and um, start to reimagine and reinvent systems of supply and economic interactions between farmers and manufacturers, brands and consumers. And then, you know, finally sort of heading upstream a little bit higher towards really the work that we're doing now at Region Network, which is an attempt to um, explore and reinvent kind of the the foundation of economics and money to recenter ecological health in in those systems and try to intervene there uh, further kind of up the cultural stream as how I would look at that. Like further up in the landscape where there's more of a root paradigm shift becomes possible. Yeah, that is not necessarily the easy path to go. Uh, in our society, not a lot of people are incentivized to ask why and go further and further up the stream. Why did you decide to take the hard path and ask questions and try to regenerate? What, what motivated you to do that initially? I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I think it's been... Um... You know, how does one answer that? It's a calling, I guess. I've been, um, you know, I feel like I've been on a pretty, you know, it's been a long and winding road on one hand, but on the other hand, it's been a pretty, you know, direct path in terms of my own, you know, like there's a deep question in me, which maybe resonates with a lot of the listeners, which is just, you know, how how can humans be a force for regeneration? How can humans be a keystone species in the planet? Um, And specifically, I'm always asking what needs to evolve in our culture? And to me, economics um, and markets and businesses, these are all just artifacts of our culture, right? 
money is a cultural artifact. So how do we need to evolve our systems of exchange and and our systems of interchange and um, in order to realign the human species to be a force for regeneration, which I you know I, I sort of firmly believe is is not only possible but is something that must happen. And so, you know, I I think if you just follow that question and just keep following that question, you inevitably end up thinking about these. Um, these bigger questions around, you know, the role of money in society, the role of business in society, uh, legal frameworks in society. Um, and then I guess different people are going to draw different conclusions based on assumptions, um, tests or, you know, um, I guess uh, hypotheses and testing those hypotheses. And, you know, the assumptions that, I make about the world and the the observations that I've made throughout this arc of my life, exploring these questions, have in broad in a you know in a in a broad way led to sort of the design and the architecture and the approach of region network. Hmm. Talking about assumptions, actually, I've heard you talk a few times that for you studying environmental science was a bit misanthropic that you sit there and you just learn all the time how humanity is fucking up the planet. Now you seem to have the assumption it's still a good thing to keep humans around. Um, why? Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, no, uh, environmental science is, is, can be a little misanthropic. And I think environmentalism, you know, <laughs> in quotes, also can be a little misanthropic. Um, why do I think that it's important to keep humans around? Well, because we're part of the world. We're not separate from it. Um, we have, I mean, maybe this is sort of a, a teleology, uh, but I, def I certainly believe that, you know, Gaia evolved us for a reason, hmm. right? And, and, I, and my beliefs, maybe this is sort of a spiritual bent, you know, it's a certain point we all have to dig down and you... You, you, you know, the questions are unanswerable uh, and you have to just sort of maybe pray or maybe ask for the answer or maybe just live in, in the question for a long time. But for, for me, you know, the answer to the question, like, why do I believe that humans are important? Um, I believe that humans are important um, because we're here and because... Um, we're beautiful uh, and we're uh, clearly a part of the greater than human world. We're woven into the fabric and, you know, I, I sort of, I guess I would fall into the optimistic side of the spectrum of like, okay, we are Gaia becoming aware of herself um, in a new way, probably not the only way, but in a new way. And therefore, you know, we sort of have a responsibility and an opportunity within that framework to, to explore what it means for humans to be integral and woven into a regenerative earth, mm. right? Into life regenerating itself. How are we life regenerating itself? Um, you know, and that's, yeah, so I, I sort of fall on the the glass half full side of the you know role of humans in the world, I guess. Thank you for that. I, I very much appreciate the work that you've done because of it. So, okay, humans are a part of the planet. 
which means we need to regenerate. What does regeneration mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm inspired by the work of Carol Sanford and have worked lo a long time with her. So her her sort of thinking about regeneration has certainly deeply influenced me. Um, you know, I think at this stage, I would define regeneration as an increase in the evolutionary capacity and capability of a system. And so if we think about the evolutionary capacity and capability of the biosphere, of, of Gaia, Mother Earth, and we think about humans' role and and our own evolutionary capability as a species and sort of a, a hyper ski, spe, keystone species, a hyper keystone species, a planetary keystone species. Um, you know, that definition of regeneration, I think, you know, we're here to increase the evolutionary viability, capacity, and capability of of life itself, really. And in order to do so, we must evolve as humans, and we must be actively gardening and regenerating the, 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 the landscapes, the watersheds, the bioregions that we inhabit as, as humans. Um, and so you can sort of think of it in, in a nested way. And so that's how I would define regeneration. I think you could you know, you can get more functional than that. And we can talk about increases in soil health and we can talk about biodiversity and watershed health. Um, you know, we can think about increases in resilience or anti-fragility. But to me, those are all sort of attributes of regeneration. They don't really define it. You know, that, that definition of increasing the capacity and capability and viability of a system, to me, is what regeneration really means. Hmm. Very good. I think, as we've noticed as we were talking about this, we're starting to use a lot of really abstract concepts. And one of the things that I've started stumbling over in the last few months especially is that when you're actually out in the world and you have practical permaculture experience, you've had a pickaxe in your hand and dug in the mud, when you then start to abstract these things, you lose something. You lose the incredible complexity that the actual real world has. This, I'm not sure how to answer this, but do you have a sense for a balance that you've been finding between focusing on the on-the-ground work and the complexities that are irre irreducible there and the need for finding models talking about the cultural level, going further upstream to coordinate human action on fundamentally a global scale, that balance between, between on the ground, local work, and the complexity that the real world is, and the abstraction that we need to coordinate. How, do you want to tell a bit about your story, your journey with that balance? The first thing I'll say is there are always those of us, probably many of your listeners included, for which the intrinsic maybe spiritual reasons for participating in hyper-local day-to-day regeneration is enough, right? That people are willing to put their families and themselves in a countercurrent to, you know, the, the broader culture and, um, you know, and therefore do things like refuse to poop in their water. <laughs> and do all the extra work that it takes to, you know, run a human or system or, 
uh, go do a bunch of hard work to create a, a local community garden or to do guerrilla forest gardening or, you know, watershed restoration. So there will always be, you know, these those of us who are maybe in the fringe, who we don't need economic motivations in order to do what our hearts are telling us is right for the world. Um, and then there's everybody else. And everybody else maybe, you know, um, need a little bit of encouragement in order to um, shift their day-to-day -day activities, their habits, what they choose to focus their work on, how they define success, right? And, um, you know, I, I think their statistics, <laughs> statistics, they're this thing, you know, just like net, net, net. If you have billions of humans and the majority of those billions of humans are beha behaving with a set of patterns and a set of incentives that is deeply extractive and degenerative, then we are going to have extractive and degenerative be the status quo. And therefore, you know, if you want that to change, I believe, you know, um, there, we can separate this into two, to two sort of schools of camp. One is maybe the school of camp, uh, uh, um, schools of thought, rather. Um, one is the school of thought in which, you know, maybe there is a, uh, I don't know, everyone has a transcendental uh, psychedelic and spiritual experience and wakes up to the, the, an embodied knowledge of their place on earth and just goes out and starts, you know, digging swales and planting trees and living in a non-monetary economy. And, you know, we sort of like go through this hundredth monkey moment and all of a sudden, you know, humanity is enlightened and regenerative, right? And then you have this other school of thought in which, you know, maybe people are going to continue to have bad habits and continue to be, you know, oftentimes, you know, sort of be greedy apes who are competing for social status. And, um, you know, some of some people will not, you know, it's like a bell curve and some people will be outside of that on either side. But there's going to be a lot of people that sort of are just operating on automatic and are in that sort of like tribal you know, behavior pattern and they're competing with each other. And, you know, um, um, in not to take free will or, or agency or the spiritual dimension out of things, because I certainly am a believer in free will and agency and, and spiritual, you know, the spiritual hero's journey that we're all on. But I also, you know, I don't think we need to be dependent on everyone simultaneously having a hero's journey awakening and becoming spiritually regenerative. I think that, that and this is sort of, to, you know, bringing it back to your question, how do I balance this like on the ground, you know, um, you know, feet on the ground and hands in the earth with the sort of, you know, in, as you said, abstract or abstractions, symbolic. So humans are symbolic creatures. You know, we live according to narratives and myths. You know, our entire world is mediated by symbols, by, by language, by images, and by belief systems. And so, you know, I, I sort of feel like if we're unwilling to sort of roll our sleeves up and become conscious agents of evolution, 
to increase the human capability to have choice and to to anchor those symbols back into right relationship with earth into a regenerative relationship with our place you know the, the great bulk of humanity who are on autopilot and who are competing in little power games and are like many of us you know many of us probably oscillate between sort of saintly regenerative behavior and you know you know some sort of primitive ape power game where we're trying to just be you know you know get prestige or you know, be acknowledged or be loved or whatever it is that we're yearning for or, or competing for, um, we really need to line that up. We need our symbolic, our symbolic cultural system, which for me, the root of that and sort of like the, the tap root of all of that is our system of exchange. The symbols represent, representing value, right? Those need to be regenerated. Those need to be reconnected with a right relationship with earth. And so I, uh, you know, is that abstract? Um, maybe, but, you know, I would propose that most humans, probably you and I included, are strangely ruled by abstractions. And so therefore, the ability to consciously engage with those abstractions, with those symbols, is what is being asked of us and that is the pathway to becoming a, a keystone species that's the pathway as individuals and and as a culture more importantly i think you know humans as individuals are i don't know maybe the wrong it's like the wrong unit to be thinking of because we are such social creatures so um and again our social systems we entrain on these symbolic representations, and then those define the games that we play with one another, the social games, the economic games that we play with one another. So, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of this as a theory of change, of course, are, uh, you know, not to t put too fine of a point on it, but mostly have to do with mental health, right? So it is much healthier for an individual human to spend their day to day doing practical, concrete things in a place, right? It, digging a swale, planting a forest garden, um, chop wood, carry water. Like many spiritual traditions remind us that chopping wood and carrying water is, you know, essential. Um, and yet, you know, here we are faced with this moment where we need to go out and also grapple with the you know the symbols that we as humans you know are magnetized by and that that rule so much of our behavior and and define again the games that we play with one another and we need to wade in there and we need to sort of like engage with those um my my hope is that i personally balance the need to chop wood and carry water enough just enough to stay grounded in that process of engaging with the abstraction. Um, you know, for me in my journey, I feel like indulge I feel like my, my heart yearns and I want to indulge myself with a life of doing nothing more than chopping wood and carrying water metaphorically and being with my family and friends and just doing practical personal scale regeneration. That's what I want to do when I wake up every day. But 
I choose to defer that gratification of that work and do the minimum amount of that that I feel like keeps me sane and spend most of my time working on this calling around sort of regenerating our abstractions and trying to leave breadcrumbs so that they, they reach back to the sort of just back to earth, back to healthy soil, back to biodiversity. I could be wrong about that. I wouldn't claim that I'm sort of like right. And I wouldn't claim that everybody should do the same thing as me at all. In fact, if everybody did that, we'd probably be wandering around lost, (laughs) you know, thinking that we needed to be there when really we need to be at home, you know, tending the fire. But um, that's been my choice. That's how I'm balancing that um, at the moment. Mm. Thank you. So you've said that the key levering point for you is our systems of exchange, our theories of value. Um, What made you conclude that that is the key point? And then I'm happy to delve in as deep as we want to go on that. Boy, that's a good question. Uh, That conclusion, I think I reached that conclusion quite some time ago. Um, And I think my... Um, either through confirmation bias or <laughs> empirical evidence that that conclusion has been reinforced through my life. So, you know, I think looking back, I think uh, there was this, you know, now I would see it as a, a, a very incomplete and maybe even naive documentary called Zeitgeist that was put out by the Venus Project back in like, I don't know, it was like 2002 or 2003 or something like that. Um, that documentary was sort of calling into question the, and, and, and highlighting the, the fractional reserve banking system and monetary system. And uh, wow, I mean, back then, you know, um, that really got me thinking and and researching and engaging with, you know, as a young man, I, I could see the parts of me that yearned to be acknowledged or, you know, the parts of me that are competitive, the parts of me that want, wanted to earn status, the parts of me, you know, through internal observation, all of those tended to entrain, you know, there's some like small cultural outliers where you could you know, find your way as a success story in quotes, but the bulk of it gets entrained on money, right? It gets entrained on, you know, that is how you earn respect and that is how you earn power. And that is how you become someone who's worth, you know, having, you know, um, mating with, and, you know, that's how you take care of children. You know, you need enough money, you need money, 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 money. Um, You know, I started really thinking what, how does money come to be? And what is it like? It's a symbol, right? It's the symbol that represents social status and the ability in our society to have a voice and to have power. That's what money does. It's like a, it's like a power allocation system. Um, currently, you know, uh, and, and even early on, you know, when you, when I was digging down into that, I was like, how is does money even come into being? <laughs> What does it, you know, it's, it's so clearly a symbol. And I think, um, 
you know, later on. So I was sort of in that wash and I was, and that was a similar time that I was coming across permaculture. So those two, two things like are deeply embedded in my exploration. Bill Mollison has some brilliant work in uh, both, you know, verbally and in his chapter about invisible structures, about economic systems, about land trusts, about, you know, there, I think there's even mentions of different indigenous systems of exchange. And I certainly started to get interested at that same time in, you know, ancestral systems of money and started to think about, huh, there's probably been different ways that people have done this before and kind of bringing a little bit of an anthropological view. I then later ran across David Graeber's work, which I would sort of point to as a deep inspiration and kind of reinforcing a pathway that I was already on around just the plurality of moneyness that has existed and the different ways that people have approached it. And the design space we have as humans is really made clear both by debt, the first 5,000 years, and even more so by the dawn of everything, which he, he published, which was published right after it passed. Um, so, you know, and, and then, Back in, I guess, 2009, when I was hosting the Bioregional Congress, uh, the 10th Bioregional Congress at the farm in Tennessee, uh, Satoshi released the white paper. And I remember sitting around a campfire with a bunch of bioregionalists thinking about digital money and thinking about bioregional currencies and thinking about, uh, you know, what I've come to believe is a human right, a basic human right for the symbols of exchange to be culturally and, and bioregionally appropriate to regeneration. That's a human right. I, I think that's actually as much of a human right as the right to shelter or food or the right to religious freedom. If we think about it, the right to express symbolically a, a unit of account that, can, that we can trust is aligning our behaviors with regeneration. To me, that's, a, that's so clearly a human right that... Um, you know, I've just sort of been fascinated by how do how do we get there? You know, and, and I explored mutual credit systems back in the early days before crypto was even a thing. Um, complementary currency systems, Bernard Leotard's work, um, you know, and then in 2017, it, you know, this sort of overton window of exploration of currencies um, was just blown open by, you know, the sort of Ethereum bull market and the broader birth of crypto and, and all of these things. I think Dogecoin became a thing back then and all of these other weird things. And like, if you think about that, an internet dog meme coin, wow. I mean, some people might in our movement might be dismissive of that, but I find it fascinating, right? That is the purest joke expression of the social construction of value that exists in the world, right? That we could come together and we could imbue value with whatever we want. <laughs> and that some people want to do it with like dog memes is just, you know, the hilariousness is actually part of its power, which is a reminder that we get to choose, that, that it's part of our responsibility and our right to choose that and to engage with that. And so, um, you know, again, Region Network has been sort of a journey or an exploration around how do we build tools for communities to reconnect their symbols of value with ecological regeneration? What does that mean to do that? And, you know, in this case, we're leveraging digital tools. 
I don't think that that has to be that way, but it sure is at our current scale of human civilization, um, useful and probably needed to have it mediated through, through sort of computers and digital interfaces. Yeah. I think this question of what is money backed by is one of the most interesting things to explore in this space. Now you say we could maybe back currencies by ecosystem health because whatever currency is backed by, people do more of. I also heard that you developed a cacao back currency a while back. Do you think that that's a relevant story to tell before we go into the theoretical discussion? I thought about developing a cacao backed currency and uh, bought a lot of domain names and, you know, at that time was doing um, cacao you know, direct trade cacao. And um, I think at some point this may still come into being, you know, sort of a, a sacred cacao currency, I think would be fantastic. I think it'd be easily deployable and achievable on region network uh, with with the tools that, you know, already exist, actually, it'd probably be possible or are close to possible with a little bit of tweaks. Um, but no, I never actually deployed that or, or built that. It just sort of stayed in the idea realm um, as, as something to be thinking about. Okay. So what does it mean to you when money is backed by something? Because we were used to money being backed as gold. So what the heck is that when you change that? Right. Totally. Well, you know, so I think backing is maybe not the right word. I, I think based you know, based in or, or reflective of are two terms that I oftentimes use. Because when we think about backing, we think about collateral. And we think about collateral, we think about something that could be taken. And if you can take, you know, if, if a currency is based in life, you know, you can't take the life away and, and still have that symbolic representation of that value be worth anything, right? So, so you can't use the same analogy as like, it's, oh, it's backed by gold or it's collateralized by gold, right? Because in that scenario, if it's collateralized or backed by gold, you know, presumably you have a bank vault somewhere and, you know, people could go redeem it for their gold, right? And in this case, you can't redeem the ineffable intrinsic value of life in the same way. All you can do is... Uh, symbolize it, right, and and utilize that symbol as a basis of the types of exchange and agreements that humans get up to on a day to day basis, right? Like we, you know, we use these symbols of exchange all the time to make our lives easier. And you know, I, I would say, you know, um, yeah. So that's just to sort of clarify, you know, we're certain, certainly not, I'm not operating in a, in a paradigm in which, you know, so you're backing a nature-based currency or a living currency. And then somebody could go be like, oh, I'm, you know, doing, I'm, you know, I'm calling in my collateral and I'm chopping down the forest. Sucking the life energy out of it. Exactly. I'll just take it out. And then, but, but, you know, that's a dystopian nightmare, but it's also something to be wary of because it is, it is kind of like follows the dominant economic logic of our moment, right? And so I think many, so, so just to pay attention, I think a like, look, financialization of nature is happening. Whether people think it's a good idea or a bad idea, I guarantee you it's happening. 
right? Now, the question is, is it going to happen in a way that is spiritualizing our existence and is reconnecting us with healthy living systems and is regrounding human cultures in their their rights to engage with the symbolic representation of what they find valuable? Or is it going to happen in a way that banalizes nature and creates these opportunities to liquidate life and turn it into some weird financial abstraction? You know, there's sort of like two pathways there and a lot of middle ground. Um, we're certainly working very hard. And that realization, I've had, the, I've had that belief that this is sort of an inevitability just because of, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just the gestalt, it's the zeitgeist, it's the way that so many people are thinking now, right? So the question is, can we do that regeneratively? Can we do it responsibly? Can we do it in a way that empowers people in places around the world? Can we do it in a way that's based on open source technology where people are empowered to make their own decisions? Can we do it in a way that's deeply rooted with community processes? Um, or is this going to be some weird technocratic nightmare in which everything gets financialized and tokenized and you know atomized and discombobulated, right? So you know there is a leap forward. We have to grapple with these abstractions and the, the symbolic representation of value, and we have to reroute it in in a regenerative paradigm I, I mean that's sort of you know we we have to do that now that's a tall ask it's a big order it's it's grappling with a lot of complexity um it requires local communities to engage and grow their capability to to grapple with these abstractions and these complexities at least to have at least to start to listen to and develop relationships with who you're going to trust and why and um, how you're going to assess if they continue to be trustworthy. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'll pause there because I think I, I wandered off a little bit from your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the really cool thought models that you helped to develop was the various roles of capital, right? And what seems to me what we're doing now is we're making it ever easier to exchange financial capital for all of the other kinds of capital. Um, so if you would like to share a bit about your vision, how we can at the same time enable this easier exchange without the degenerative side effects that this might have, if we turn everything into markets, which opens up speculation and so on, I would be very interested in hearing your thoughts on that. Well, we go into this whole speculation thing, maybe at a, at a sidebar, like we should talk about speculation. Um, so yeah, I I helped I, I helped draw out and elucidate the eight forms of capital with with a thinking partner Ethan Roland Soliviev. Um, really, we just listened to a community of people who convened, who who I helped convene around the financial permaculture courses back in two thousand seven, and we sort of listened to the patterns of what people were articulating as value, and we built a framework around that called the eight forms of capital. I would say that the dominant trend of the probably like really 19th and 20th centuries, at least, has been the liquidation of all other forms of capital for the, the creation of financial capital. And I would say, broadly speaking, the, the mission, 
the 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 mission that we're on right now is to um, transform financial capital back into living capital, especially, and back into financial capital. So, so your question there was around eight forms of capital and sort of like how to be thinking about that and. Uh, you know, again, I, I would using that framework. I think, broadly speaking, the, the the sort of mission we're on is to transform living uh, financial ca- capital back into living capital and back into cultural capital, especially those two, right? I also think it's important: social capital, experiential capital, intellectual capital, um, material capital. Sure, all of those things are good, but the two that I most believe are you know, important for us to be flowing value back into, or maybe three uh, would be living capital, cultural capital, and spiritual capital, uh, really. Now, the question is, how do we do that, right? And how do we do that in, in a responsible way that isn't just financializing everything? Um, you know, what is the role of markets? What is the role of speculation? Um, what's the relationship between commons and markets? Um, are there theories that can re-embed markets into commons, right? Is there a way that we can reconcile and not have this binary where it's like either it's markets and speculation and therefore bad, or it's sort of like some idealized version of commons and sort of like social coordination, and that's good, um, or vice versa, right? Because there's different people on either side of those seemingly irreconcilable approaches to human coordination. Um, I myself feel like they must, they can and must be reconciled. I, I believe that that there's there has there has to be a healthy role for speculation. Right? I, I believe there has to be a healthy role for speculation. There are some easy ways to to think about that. You know, you can tax speculation. This is one of the cool things about you know building things in a blockchain world is we can build we can embed into our systems things like a speculation tax. So that at any time somebody's doing secondary trading and there's a difference in price, you know, part of that is flowing back to the original land steward or it's flowing into a community run coffer that's getting managed to repair the commons, right? So there are all these ways that I think the the binaries of like communism and capitalism and, you know, um, speculation and, and never speculation, I think these get us into trouble. I, I think the design space that we need to be engaging with should be context specific. Um, we should be centering the conversation in ecological regeneration. And we should be asking, how do we pull as much of the financial capital resources as we can into the process of regenerating the biosphere? And that means that we can't feel that it's all dirty and bad and evil. You know, that means that we need to engage with building a bridge and and transmuting that energy and turning it into soil and healthy watersheds and healthy communities, right? And I think by and large, the, the sort of, you know, permaculture community, regener- regeneration community of 10 years ago, say, and I can't, you know, I, um, I have to say I'm less tuned in to to the the, um, the community as I once was. Um, 
because I'm busy and we're building this tool that we hope this community loves and uses and engages with and feels like it's your own because it's certainly built by one of your own, all right, in an attempt to build something good. But, you know, I'm not engaged with the day-to-day politics and thinking. But back when I was, you know, a lot of people felt like money was a dirty word, right? And business was just bad. And I don't think that approach is going to get us very far. I think it's a really useful way to stay sort of a privileged, marginal community that is holier than thou and just sort of like can look down our noses at everybody everywhere who's money grubbing and doing and destroying the world while we don't actually get anything done, right? Where, where we have our own little insulated world with our nice rhetoric, but we don't actually engage meaningfully. Like this work that, that you all, that we all are doing together to regenerate ecosystems, to regenerate bioregions, to regenerate ourselves, it just has to be broadly accessible. And we have to make it um, something that is um, that, you know, every human has access to. And I think in order to do that, it's going to have to figure out, we're going to have to figure out healthy, clean, clear ways to engage with the financial world and with the, you know, the monetary world. And, and my belief is the cleanest, clearest, best way to do that is by building tools for people to ask and answer their own questions around the role of speculation, their own questions around how to represent what and how to represent ecological health in, in a specific community context. That's how I reconcile the complexity is that to, to nest it and to ground it into local processes with people who are related to ecological health and give them the tools to answer the big, hard questions is the way to sort of replicate and unfold this, right? Mm. That we can't have a master plan and a global system and like one approach to rule them all. I, I don't think that that's going to get us very far. And I'm very wary of, of those sorts of solutions. Um, so that's why we've tried to build at Region Network sort of an open source, modular, replicable system that's community governed and community owned and sort of has a community process to an- ask and answer some of these hard questions about markets and speculation. Yes. So let's dive into Region Network because we've been talking about we need a tool. Just so happens you have been helping to build one. Um, do you want to share some of the visioning process that you had in the beginning and then how you've been taking practical steps to build that bridge between the financial world and the different kinds of capital we want to regenerate? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'll be brief about the visioning process. I think, um, you know, uh, to be honest, I took paternity leave from Terrigenesis International and I, you know, I had a son and I was doing a lot of walking and thinking and I was kept asking myself both, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, what's the next thing that I'm going to do in order to make a more beautiful world for my son to live in? And, um, and specifically asking how to get at this Gordian knot of you know, money and how to reconnect money to the sacred and to ecological health, right? What does that 
what, how do we do that? And I just kept asking myself that question over and over again and going on very long walks. And, you know, at, at, a, at one day, I remember exactly where I was, time of day, uh, you know, maybe even the date I could probably pinpoint it on a calendar. I just was walking and sort of like saw the, the fabric of Regent, like the hyperstructure of Regent Network was just there, present. And like, oh, well, that's the answer to this question, right? And there's there's functional ways to talk about that. You know, essentially, it's like, as humans, we need to be able to generate social consensus about ecological health and then represent that social consensus symbolically into units of account, right? So th th those, those things need to be present and available and accessible. And in order to do that, you need sort of a communal scientific instrument that people can engage with and add information to and take information out of that relates to ecological health, right? And then there needs to be a, a way of unitizing that or symbolic, you know, symbolically representing it, whether it's a non-monetary commons instrument or it's a fully monetary speculative instrument, it doesn't really matter. The foundations are the same, right? Um, and so that's what we've been attempting over these many, many years to build is an open source community governed apparatus for linking ecological state, the, the, the health of an ecosystem into units so that, you know, you need to be able to monitor, report and verify on ecological health. You need to be able to quantify ecological health in some way. You need to give people tools to determine what they're quantifying. A lot of people choose to quantify carbon. That's currently like the most accessible and popular way of quantifying ecological health is carbon. Um, there are people also thinking about biodiversity and water. Um, there are some people who are thinking about, you know, uh, quantification and creating sort of more quality units that are, you know, less fungible. And that's awesome, too. And I don't I don't think it's like an either or at all. Actually, I think those are there's like composable relationships. What we've built at Region Network is a, you know, it allows people to go through a process to register an approach to the community, right? To monitoring and quantifying ecological health, and then to be able to be in charge of minting that sort of like new unit of account. And again, most of the people who are doing that at the moment are pursuing carbon credits. Right, because there's an existing marketplace for that. You can sell them, and you get money that everybody else exchanges. There are brave, amazing communities that are doing much more experimental things, um, which is very exciting. And uh, you know, I, I certainly believe that the long tail of the use of this tool, where different individuals are experimenting and evolving it to really meet sort of like radically contextual needs is where the most change is going to take place. The most transformation is going to take place, but also, you know, we, we try to be very practical and pragmatic and meet, you know, in quotes, the market where it's at, because that's how resources flow. And, you know, as I mentioned before, my belief is that we need those resources to flow and reinforce regeneration. We, we, you know, we need that connection between the old sort of, dinosaur system literally fueled by dinosaurs <laughs> and the new system which is regenerative and and based on regeneration so um you know concretely 
region network, uh, region ledger, which is the blockchain, allows people to mint assets, list them in a peer-to-peer marketplace, and sell those assets, um, and also do a lot of data management related to the creation of those assets. There's a bunch of other features coming, like project funding and art NFTs and other things that just sort of like augment and support that basic functionality. Um, but that's where things are at right now. Hmm. You've touched upon one of my favorite questions in the refi space, and it's what comes after carbon credits? Um, do you have any personal ideas? Or otherwise, if you want to share some of those experiments that some of the communities are running, I would be super interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorites are there's a Keystone biodiversity credit where Jaguars are... Jaguar credits are sort of units that represent inhabited land, uh, a landscape inhabited by Jaguars are being created. There's other people who are just talking to who are thinking about taking that same methodology and using it for uh, mountain tapirs and uh, spectacled bears and, you know, other sort of like charismatic megafauna or keystone species that represent in some way the wholeness and integrity of an ecosystem. Uh, the wildness of an ecosystem. I think that's quite compelling and exciting. Um, I think you're going to see people experimenting more with sort of like holistic regeneration credits that represent sort of an index or an amalgam of carbon and biodiversity outcomes. Another one of my favorite approaches that's emerging and, and getting some traction in the region network ecosystem is what, what are being called stewardship credits, where they're not actually linked specifically to an outcome, right? Like carbon or like a quantity of an outcome, but instead they're just sort of like paying for regeneration as a service in a way where they're saying like, oh, I'm holistically managing this landscape or I'm practicing silviculture or I'm you know, rehydrating the landscape according to this plan. And you set up the monitoring according to the performance and the maintenance of that service. And people are sort of paying for those credits. Those credits may be vouchers for future carbon outcomes, which may have a market price or future water outcomes if you're rehydrating the landscape, or they may not be like they may just be sort of like a way of creating a contract between people for regeneration as a service. And uh, I think that's compelling and exciting. That is a very, very interesting idea, because that's one of the main questions trying to be answered with all of these credits, right? Is how do we incentivize actual regenerative action. And I think the key part in that is always not necessarily what are the biodiversity outcomes, but how do we pay the humans that want to work on that? So that's actually a very interesting experiment to kind of run on both sides. What happens if you mostly focus on the results and what happens if you just focus on the process of paying a human to implement the techniques? That's a really cool idea. I like that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And there may be sort of like hybrids of those and, uh, you know, and we'll see. So that's a little bit of an overview. And, and if folks are interested, they could, um, you know, you can find a lot of cool information at region.network. There's a built on region site, which goes over a lot of these different things. Um, you can look at some of the existing carbon credits that are in the marketplace. That's the first generation. A lot of these other sort of like more edgy things haven't quite come into the market. Um, yeah, and so it's a uh, it's exciting and you know experimental and um, of course you know I deeply believe that it's that these are experiments worth doing and 
you know, and that we need sort of, we need a community around it. We need different communities and different places to make different experiments and different approaches so that we can learn and grow and figure this thing out. Because ultimately the, the, the challenge, you know, symbols, memes, um, the, the social construction of value, of course, this is a social process and to be done in a healthy way, I certainly believe it needs to be done transparently. It needs to have strong community engagement around it. It shouldn't be sort of like propaganda, you know, is sort of like just being beamed in a one-way street and then people are receiving it and then modifying their behavior. This is a moment in history where, you know, people, I think, need to roll up their sleeves and uh, you know, engage with these challenging questions and make up your own mind and, and do so, you know, also loosely and try to sort of like engage in a process to become better and better informed and more and more engaged. And we hope that we're building a strong backbone and a strong community at Region Network that's sort of open and inviting to sort of like be diving into these questions. Mm, very cool. Okay, we're coming up on time. Do you want to do one last question and then go? I should probably uh, probably hop. I I, I have okay. some other things that I need to get into another another call. But uh, this has been really lovely. I I appreciate you holding space and uh, what a fantastic interview as well. Just really thoughtful questions. So I'm excited to tune in to 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 the other uh, podcast interviews that you're doing and just um, you know continue to learn and learn and grow. Uh, so yes. Jacob, thanks for kind of convening the earth regenerator community around a podcast around the digital fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your thoughtful answers. This might've actually been one of the most fun interviews I've done until now. Um, but yeah, one that you might find really interesting is uh, a few weeks ago, while Will Ruddick, who has been doing a lot of community currency work in Kenya was here for refi by Richard. I recorded an episode with him. So if you want to check that out, I, I bet you'd love it. Awesome. Yeah, Will's, Will's great. I'll look forward to that. Super right. cool. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is a decentralized platform for the regenerative community. Anybody on Earth Regenerators can propose or record their own episode. So if you're already on Earth Regenerators, contact Jacob Seidler if you have an idea for a future interview or audio essay. And if you're not on there yet, come and join us for regular learning journeys on the pathway to regeneration inspiration from the many regenerative projects reporting there, and a wonderful community woven around mutual support. Just enter Earth Regenerators into your search engine and find a website or follow the link in the description. Let's regenerate the Earth. <laughs>